Introducing the newest addition to the Sonos home sound system, the Sonos One. The smart speaker blends great sound with Amazon Alexa, so you can use your voice to control your whole Sonos system. Connect it to a Sonos home theater system and tell Alexa to turn up the TV volume in your living room so you can hear an ice hockey play-by-play on the podium while you're cooking in the kitchen. recovery on one ski. And this young lady again will take the podium. From NBC Sports and Vox Media, this is The Podium. So let's get into the head of Sean White. The shipment of the United States. Lindsey Vaughn, this is her chance now. I'm your host, Lauren Shahadi. We're coming to you from Pyeongchang, South Korea home to the 2018 Olympic Winter Games. This is our first episode on the ground in Pyeongchang. Every day during the 2018 Games, we'll have Olympic updates, in-depth stories, and interviews with your favorite athletes. The Games officially begin tonight with the opening ceremony at Pyeongchang Olympic Stadium. 35,000 spectators will bundle up against the freezing temperatures to watch South Korea welcome the world to its first Winter Games. NBC's Primetime Olympics anchor Mike Tirico will share hosting duties for tonight's big event. He'll be joined by an Olympic veteran, a host with three opening ceremonies under her belt. So we asked if she had any advice for a first-timer like Mike. You know, I don't think he needs any advice from me. That, of course, is Katie Couric. I think he's going to be amazing. He has been really focused myopically on the Olympics for many months now. Meanwhile, I'm like the last-minute crammer. And so I think together, you know, I have worked with a lot of different people and it's always kind of a yin-yang thing. Usually I am the Oscar to someone else's Felix. For some reason, I'm sort of the hot mess that comes in. But hopefully I add a little personality to the whole situation. You say you're a crammer. I saw Mike Trico walking around with a binder this big. Oh, I know. It's outrageous. I mean, I basically have had to bring my homework in a suitcase when I come here to the IBC because there is so much. And of course, you're never going to use one 80th of it during the broadcast, but it's just nice to feel comfortable. And it's also respectful, I think, for the people who have worked so hard to put this on and to the athletes who have been, you know, so committed for years to their sport to have a really thorough understanding of what's unfolding. And it's a really fun night. It's It's actually very moving, I think, because every host country, it's sort of like they're coming out party and they are putting their best foot forward. They're trying to help you understand the people who live there, their culture, their ethos. And, you know, it's a real privilege to be able to help guide viewers through that whole experience. This is a different Olympics, I think we can all agree, because of the location. There's these incredible stories of the journeys of the athletes, and then there's this sort of backdrop of geopolitical strife. Is it a difficult dynamic to manage as a broadcaster? I don't think so. I mean, I think, you you know, there's a duality. Again, all of these things, it's funny when I talk about this because whether it's yin-yang, duality, harmony with nature, they're all themes of the opening ceremony. So clearly it's kind of permeated my brain. But I think, you know, as somebody who's been in the news business for a long time, it's a pretty natural fit for me to have sort of a bigger backdrop. Some of the geopolitical things that you mentioned, clearly uh, the tension between North and South Korea, the tension between the U.S. 
and North Korea. And of course, there are many other players from the Japanese to the Chinese historically. And so I think it makes it much more interesting, honestly. Clearly, it's scary. And I think there is a lot going on that seems so uncertain that has people on edge. When Kim Jong-un did that speech on January 1st and kind of extended an olive branch, I'm sure some people are skeptical, even cynical, but it seemed to to bring the temperature down a little bit. Um, but it's something that we have to be mindful of, clearly, while we're talking about the opening ceremony, but we don't want it to totally eclipse the Olympics of it all. So I think it's a balance. His sister is going to be in attendance. That's right. Are you going to cover that? How much? I think we're going to obviously mention it, but I don't think we're going to be spending so much time talking about it. I mean, certainly we'll talk about this when the South and North Korean delegations walk in together. Clearly, that's a moment we're going to be talking about. We're going to be foreshadowing that throughout the ceremony. We'll make note of it, just as we'll make note of Mike Pence and who he's bringing. So I think we'll try to weave it, but it's really more of a celebration than a Council on Foreign Relations conference or symposium on the geopolitical situation vis-a-vis North and South Korea and all those other countries I mentioned. So hopefully it'll have its proper place in the conversation. Katie, I keep thinking about what this unified front means for the athletes. Take the South Korean hockey team, for instance. Here's a group of girls who have been practicing and playing together, and then all of a sudden, oh, the girls from the North, we have to include them. Well, my petty part of me says, hey, that's my spot, but there's a greater good here. Yeah, I think so. And I, you know, the whole theme of the opening ceremony is peace. And if this can shine a little bit of light or open even the tiniest door to better relations, I, I'm not a diplomat and I'm not a foreign policy expert, but I have to think that's a good thing. But I, I think that, yes, the South Korean hockey team has had to make some concessions to have the women from North Korea be a part of this. And it was interesting. I've been talking to some women's hockey commentators. You know, they said that there's been a bit of a language barrier because in South Korea, it's become increasingly westernized and modernized through the years. But in North Korea, some of the language has not changed. And they haven't been exposed to some of the world influences that people in the South are. And so they've had some challenges there. And Apparently, the North Korean women don't listen to K-pop. And in the locker room, they've been playing sort of traditional folk music. It's just very interesting to see these two countries so right next to each other, all part of the same peninsula, and how culturally they've been shaped through very different forces through the years. And, you know, I think that dynamic is really going to be fascinating and something that we'll have to watch unfold. We'll hear more from Katie Couric a little bit later in the show. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we'll look back at the history of the Winter Games. This isn't the first time geopolitics have influenced the world's biggest sporting event. Stay with us for more. We live in New York City, so before we leave the house every day, I do a quick, Alexa, what's the weather? But I also love good sound quality, which is why I'm so into Sonos One, the newest addition to the Sonos Home Sound System. It's not just a speaker, it's the speaker. It's the premium wireless sound system controlled by your voice, which I love. This is for the people who love sound. 
When I first got it, I was thinking, I, I have to set up this, it's gonna take a while. But all I did was go to the link, download the app right to my phone, and the whole thing really just took a minute. This speaker, it's surprisingly small, it blends right into the wall, and you can choose a color that also blends with your decor. You can play Amazon Music, you can play Spotify, Apple Music, all in one place. And plus you can play different music in each room. So my kids can listen to Kids Bop in one room, and I don't have to hear it, and I can listen to Katy Perry. Sonus is offering listeners of the Podium Podcast 10% off one order of $2,500 or less for any product on Sonos.com. It's a great deal. This offer is available for a limited time only. It won't be around forever, and it cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. So hurry up and get your Sonos One. Use the promo code WINTER10, capital W-I-N-T-E-R-1-0, at Sonos.com to receive this offer. Welcome back to the podium. Before the 2018 Winter Games open tonight in Pyeongchang, we're going to take a look at how we got here. How have the Olympic Winter Games changed over time? Here to give us a little history lesson on the games is Bill Mallon. He's written over 20 books on the subject, and he says that the first games, which were held in 1924, weren't anything like the major international sporting event the games are today. It was just a very small sporting event in a small mountain village in France uh, with very few spectators, and the spectators that were, that were there were really the rich elite that were vacationing in Chamonix, France at that time. Um, they had very little interest in the Winter Olympics themselves. They just uh, sort of went to watch them as an afterthought. It was chosen because it had a lot of hotels and the rich people wintered there um, and participated in some winter sports themselves, which was most likely sledding and being pulled by horses on a sled and things like that. They, they weren't terribly athletic. Very different from today's games that uh, really now have to be held in large centers and large cities because uh, you're basically moving uh, the population of a large city there. And unless you have a large center, you can't hold it in small towns anymore, like a Lake Placid or a Semeritz. The first few games had only about 20 nations competing and uh, only about 25 events as opposed to today, which has 92 nations competing here in Pyeongchang and uh, uh, 102 events. Nineteen thirty-six games are known mostly because they were the games of the Nazi elite and Hitler and there were a lot of political controversies about them. There were more political controversies at Berlin than there were in uh, Garmisch-Partenkirchen for the Winter Games. But there is a famous story about the uh, Winter Games. The um, president of the International Olympic Committee was a Belgian count, Count Henri de Belay Latour. And when he arrived in Garmisch-Partenkirchen, he saw signs by the side of the road that said, dogs and Jews not allowed. And uh, he actually got an audience with Hitler and said, uh, you have to take those signs down. And uh, Hitler said, sir, is it normal um, when you come to someone's house as a guest in the house, you tell them how to run it? And Belay Latour, to his credit, stood up and said, sir, when the Olympic rings fly over a city, it is my house and not yours. And they took the signs down. Then in 1960 was really the big thing that opened up the games. The uh, Winter Games were televised for the first time uh, in the United States. Uh, the games were held in Squaw Valley, California. From Squaw Valley, California, February 1960, the eighth Winter Olympic Games. This is Walter Cronkite reporting. There still were not a lot of events, uh, only about 40 events at that time. Uh, women were competing more and more. Um, the uh, 
first uh, woman to take the oath of the athletes at the opening ceremony occurred when Carol Heiss, the figure skater, uh, did that. And then Carol Heiss uh, went on to win the gold medal in women's figure skating and became one of America's first ice queens. More countries were starting to compete. You're now getting about 40 or 50 countries as opposed to the little club of just Europe and the U.S. in the first years. Uh, we're starting to get a few Asian countries. Japan is competing. Australia is sending a few athletes. And you're, you're starting to get a smattering of even South American countries sending a few athletes. So uh, the games were just getting bigger in almost every sense. They were being televised more, much more media coverage, and uh, you know people following them a lot more, especially 1976. It was in Innsbruck, Austria. The games are in color now. They're starting to add more events. Uh, there was a famous ski run that's been run over and over there when the Austrian Franz Klammer won the men's downhill with a, you know, a death-defying run where he was on the edge of his skis the whole time. You know, he was the hometown hero. He was Austrian. Uh, it's in Innsbruck, so everybody was rooting for him. And the event was just uh, an amazing run that he did. Frank Gifford was the announcer for ABC, and uh, you know, he was almost breathless. Uh, he was so excited by the run. Lake Placid was a, a difficult game in a lot of ways. Uh, the Soviets invaded Afghanistan in December of 1979, and in early January, um, Jimmy Carter, um, you know, did a televised announcement to the American people and said, if the Soviets do not leave Afghanistan, we will boycott the Moscow Olympics that were in 1980. I have given notice that the United States will not attend the Moscow Olympics unless the Soviet invasion forces are withdrawn from Afghanistan before February 20th. That deadline is tomorrow, and it will not be changed. So there were a lot of political overtones when uh, the Lake Placid Olympics started in February. And then, of course, what everyone remembers is uh, the uh, game where the United States hockey team defeated the Soviet Union 4-3 to in a late afternoon Friday game. Uh, that just uh, stunned the world. At that time, the Soviets had the greatest hockey team in the world, better even than the NHL teams. Um, but the uh, young American college kids uh, pulled together and beat them. That was called the miracle on ice. And uh, my I was not in Lake Placid, my own personal uh, uh, stories about that were um, my parents went to the Lake Placid Olympics. My wife and I had considered going, uh, but we decided to get tickets for my father and mother, uh, who my father had been a speed skater, so he loved the Winter Olympics. And uh, they did not go to the ice hockey game. Uh, it's a small stadium, very few people were there. But they were having dinner, and uh, they were in this small restaurant. The game was in the late afternoon, and about six o'clock, someone came running into the restaurant. And my father told me the story. He said, hey, we just beat the Russians in hockey. You know, it was the Soviets. But, uh, you know, and everyone started cheering and, you know, clapping and applauding. And he said then you know, the restaurant quieted down. Everyone sat down and uh, started to uh, eat their dinner again. And then all of a sudden over in the corner of the restaurant, one guy stood up and started singing God Bless America. And then everyone in the restaurant stood up and sang along with him. And uh, he said there wasn't a dry eye in the place. You know, my dad died in 2000, and uh, the night before he died, I was at the hospital. He, he was dying from pneumonia, and uh, one of the last words he said to me, he says, thanks for getting me those tickets for Lake Placid. He says, that was one of the greatest things. It meant a lot that we did that for him.
the games really started to change in the late 80s and early 90s when the IOC and the uh, organizing committees opened them up to new sports. Uh, until that time, it had been the traditional sports, cross-country and alpine skiing, speed skating, uh, ice hockey, and figure skating. But now they started to bring in what you could term the X Games sports. There wasn't an X Games at the time. ESPN didn't do that yet. Um, but they started bringing in freestyle skiing, snowboarding, short track speed skating, and just a lot more events like that. Um, and that's really opened up the games. Uh, it's especially opened it up to the youth because, uh, you know, a lot of the young people really aren't too excited about cross-country skiing, at least in the United States. They may be in Norway and uh, Sweden, but, uh, uh, you know, these are tremendous uh, television events, too, because, you know, you see these guys doing these incredible feats where they hurl themselves, you know, 30, 40 feet in the air on these snowboards and freestyle skis and do all these flips and twists and, you know, somehow or another most of the time land on their feet, uh, which is amazing. So it makes great television. It's really increased the attractiveness uh, of the uh, Winter Olympics. So, Bill, here we are at the 2018 Winter Olympics in Pyeongchang. What makes this year's games different? The, the biggest thing is really the uh, thing that's going on with North Korea, that North and South Korea have started to agree to do some talks. And, uh, you know, South Korea and the United States agreed to postpone military exercises that they hold off the coast of South Korea. Um, you know, it's a little bit of a detente. Uh, I, I'm not a political scientist, and I'm not naive enough to think that this is going to bring peace to the entire world or even, you know, end the conflict between South and North Korea. But you have to start somewhere, and it's a start. And uh, I think that's something that the Olympic movement can be proud of, that they've at least brought them together talking. We'll have more on the geopolitics of the Winter Games next week as the joint South Korea-North Korea women's hockey team gears up for its first game. And while the Winter Games officially begin tonight, the competition has already started. Both men's and pairs figure skating had their short programs this morning in Pyeongchang. And when I asked Katie Couric what stands out from her past Olympic coverage, she returned to figure skating during the Salt Lake Games back in 2002. Sarah Hughes winning the gold medal in Salt Lake City, kind of coming not out of nowhere, but surprising people was a really exciting moment. I watched Apollo Ono skate. The summer games I love because I love track and field. And uh, I remember interviewing Gail Devers, an incredible hurdler. The whole aura of the games has always been fun for me. And part of it has been understanding sort of the different countries because I was covering them not only as a sporting event, but as a cultural event. So to go through Torino and go to a chocolate factory or, you know, to understand the slow food movement really had its its genesis there in Torino or to, you know, I love Sydney. I love Australians. I had so much fun at the Today Show at the time, I think started at 11 o'clock at night. So we had a lot of Ozzy, 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 oi, oi, oi going on behind us with, uh, you know, after uh, probably having a few beers. And, you know, it was a very festive, fun atmosphere. And I took side trips to Kangaroo Island. And Bondi Beach was so much fun. And beach volleyball was so much fun. So I think every game has had unique qualities. And I've just really enjoyed being a part of all of them. You have so many responsibilities here, but... Let's talk about the really, really important stuff, like finding the snail mask you were talking about on late night. <laughs> because is that not something you want to do when you see these beautiful Korean women and their faces glow and their skin is just 
magnificent? You know, listen, I have to be honest. I don't have a re I'm really not jonesing to get a snail mask. It's, it's snail secretions, and I'm sure it must have a lot of beautifying properties. But um, I don't know. I'm really, uh, but there are a lot of other K Korean beauty treatments that I'd like to partake in. I don't think I'm going to have time while I'm here. I would like to come back, though. South Korea in general has been really interesting, really beautiful. Okay, Katie, I have five more rapid fire questions ready to go. Best meal you've had so far in Korea is Korean barbecue last night with the MVC opening ceremony team. If you were competing, would you rather do bobsled or figure skating? Hello, figure skating. I love the skating rink, by the way. Have you been there? No. Oh, it's so beautiful. I walked in there and it was just probably because nobody was there, but I interviewed Nathan Chen, who is, of course, a big hopeful for a medal, maybe a gold medal. He's awesome and really cute, 18 years old. He's waiting to hear from colleges. You know, not only did he have to compete you know, get into the Olympics and do these, all these huge competitions. He had to write a college essay and apply to all these schools. So, you know, in many ways, he's just like a nice, normal 18 year old kid who is also a prodigy in, in figure skating. So he's waiting to hear, he told me his first picks were Princeton and Columbia. So he's obviously a smart figure skater as well. And uh, it was really fun to talk to him. But the ice skating rink, you all have to go. Because also, it, that's where the short track is. And they were having a practice run. And I just love, I love speed skating and I love figure skating. Would you rather win one gold medal, Katie Kirk, or five silver? One gold. Do it. K-pop <laughs> or country music? Mm, that's a hard choice. <laughs> I don't know. I like them both, in, but not all the time. I'd like to add them to my musical diet occasionally. Perfect. If you could listen to one song before an Olympic competition to fire you up, what would that song be? Guts and Fear by Eminem. Sorry about I'm it. I'm kidding. That's what Michaela Schifrin listens to. I don't Go even with know it. that song. <laughs> I'm impressed. But it sounded good, didn't it? It does. It's like, wow, she is so hip. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I have to think about that and get back to you, Lauren. Okay. Last one. Where does co-hosting this opening ceremonies again fall on your professional Mount Rushmore? Well, I don't have a professional Mount Rushmore, actually. But in the lexicon of my professional experiences, it's it really is very, very flattering that they asked me to do this. I think they called about five other people and they weren't available. And they're like, call Couric. she's She'll come. But, um, you know, it just really is an honor. When you look at sincerely all the work that goes into putting one of these Olympics together. I'm sure you and your team have really marveled at it's like it is such a well-oiled machine and there are what how many people are here doing this? I mean it's crazy right? And so people spend all their time focused on these 17 days of competition and it's hugely important to MBC and the idea that they have entrusted me, God help them, with the opening ceremony and to do something like this with Mike Tirico, it's a real honor. Katie, thanks so much for your time. I You're appreciate welcome. it. It was fun. Good luck. Thank you. And Katie was so close on Michaela's favorite warm-up song. It's Guts Over Glory by Eminem and Sia. You can see Katie Couric and Mike Tirico host the opening ceremony from Pyeongchang tonight in primetime on NBC. 
Jonathan Hirsch produces our show. Our senior producer is Jillian Weinberger, and our executive producer is Nishat Kurwa. A special thanks to Rebecca Chapman, John Howe, Eileen Sokol, and Tess Quinlan. Find more episodes of The Podium on Apple Podcasts. You can watch the Winter Olympics on the networks of NBC, and you can stream every event live on NBCOlympics.com and the NBC Sports app. I'm Lauren Shahadi. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you tomorrow. All right, so Sonos speakers are super easy to set up, but if you just don't even want to bother with that, you can have someone else do it for you for free. How awesome is that? That's right. If you live in any major metropolitan area, up and running, we'll have a trained expert deliver and set up your system. Absolutely free. Just order from Sonos.com and select up and running at checkout if you qualify.